verse 13 to 17. Mark chapter 12, verse 13 to 17. And I want you to kind of leave that open. And I'm excited. The title of this morning's message is really powerful. If we could put that graphic on the screen, exposed. That's a heart. What happens when God exposes our heart? What happens when God exposes what's deep inside of our lives? Let me tell you something. Jesus' words often make plain the secret intentions of our hearts. And that should scare us, and it does scare us, because we all tend to hide from time to time in different fashions and different forms. We keep things to ourselves, because we're afraid that if people find out, they will reject us. Do you know what the greatest issue in our society is? Do you know why we're the most medicated society in the history of the world? Because we desperately fear rejection. We desperately fear rejection. We feel that our leaders will reject us. We feel that our bosses will reject us. We feel our family will reject us. I love this scripture. I've always held it true to my heart. And there was a season in my life that I really held it deep in my heart. There's a scripture that says, if my mother and my father abandon me, the Lord with everything will pick me up again. And it's true. How many of you have best friends? They're hard to come by. But best friends in your life, they're the people who who force you to go past the surface and they force you to talk about what's actually going on. These are people who ask you penetrating questions. They love you too much to let whatever's brewing underneath the surface remain covered up. And you don't always like your best friends in these moments, but you love them for a lifetime because you're thankful for what they've done for you over the long run. Look at what Proverbs 27 verse 6 says. This is powerful. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Perfuse are the kisses of an enemy. Let me tell you something. I never like, believe me, this is something, it's almost, it's this concept of an internal vow. I have an internal vow that I detest. Even if I know that it's the right thing to do, I detest causing anyone pain. I hate it. I hate it with all that I am. But better that you be wounded by a friend and told the truth by a friend than be loved up on by an enemy that says, oh, you're doing everything great. You're fantastic. Everything is wonderful. Don't worry about what you said. Don't worry about what you did. Don't worry about how you're living. It's okay. But it's not okay. And we need those best friends in our lives to tell us when it's not okay. To wake up and open up our eyes so that we realize things that we didn't realize before. See, best friends force you to reveal your heart. Jesus is the best friend that you could ever have. He knows you like nobody else knows you. He sees past the smoke screens, past the defenses that you try to put up around your heart. And eventually he'll press you in places that you don't want to go. Remember I told you some of you say, man, I'm in this situation. This is a terrible situation. The devil's doing this. And I'm telling you, the devil gets more of a bad rap uh, than what he deserves from Christians. Some of you blame the devil for what is God. 
Sometimes God wants your back up against the wall because it's the only place that he can press you in and cause change to come to your life. Jesus will ask you the questions that you don't like the answers to. When you think your issue is about other people or other circumstance, he'll show you first and foremost that it's about you and God. It's about your heart and him. Do you know I found more often than not that when there's struggle and when there's conflict, it's a lot less to do with me and people as much as it has to do with them and God and where they're at. See, Jesus exposes our hearts, but he doesn't do it to shame us. He does it to save us. He's honest with us, even when we've made secondary issues primary ones, and we're going to get into that in a second, but Mark chapter 12, 13 through 17 And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. This is all snarky. They're all trying to trap him by doing this. I just want you to know that. Don't, don't Don't be fooled by eloquent religious speech. And I'm going to tell you this in our modern day, in our churches, within Christianity, do not be fooled by eloquent religious Christianese talk. It will fool you time and time again. Sometimes there's some rotten things that are going on in people's lives. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius. And let me look at it. That's a coin. And they brought one and he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is on this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And to God, the things that are God. And they marveled at him. You see, the religious leaders were challenging Jesus. And what they were trying to do was they were trying to discredit his ministry. See, he was upsetting the status quo and their power. Whenever you try to do something meaningful with your life, bring change to your life, bring change to an organization, expect issues and problems to come because you're upsetting the status quo and you're ruining the power structures. The Pharisees and the Herodians were were two groups who were totally polar opposite in values. You see, the Pharisees were opposed to the Romans. They were opposed to being taxed by the Romans. But the Herodians, they liked the Romans being there. And the taxes, they served for their political gain. So for these two to join together in one cause, making Jesus try to disappear, just shows us how scared they were. They thought that Jesus had to go. And they began scheming about him. All the way in Mark chapter 3, they began in their hearts. Mark chapter 3 verse 6, the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him on how to destroy him. So they were already meeting. They were plotting. Be careful where you're at. If you're in a meeting to plot, to destroy, and to wound someone, you are in the wrong place and having the wrong types of conversations. They must have thought that they had the perfect question to trap him. Mark chapter 12, 13 through 14. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, teacher, we know that you're true. And we know that you really don't care about anyone's opinions. 
because you're not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? They started off falsely flattering him and then asked him a question they thought was a dangerous one. And no matter how Jesus answered this question, it would have destroyed his ministry. See, the tax was an annual poll tax. The Romans would make the Jews pay it to Caesar. It went straight to Caesar's bank account in Rome. And none of the Jews liked it. If Jesus said that the tax was lawful, no one was going to follow him anymore. Since he didn't stand up to the Romans the way they thought a Messiah should. They would have ostracized him. And if Jesus said that the tax was unlawful, Rome would have sent their army and they would have killed Jesus. Either way, his ministry was done. Look at what Jesus, look at this scripture, Mark 12, 15 through 17. And knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought him one and he said to them, whose likeness and whose inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. And they marveled at him. Jesus knew their question wasn't genuine. He saw through them by asking them, whose likeness, whose description is on this coin? Jesus was saying that person owned it. If Caesar's image was on the coin, therefore he owned it and they should give it back to him. And this was the train of thought that Jesus wanted them to have when he gave them his next statement. Then give to God the things that are God's. Meaning, you're my image bearers. You belong to me, so give yourself back to me. Augustine, an early church father, said, Christ's coin is man. Caesar's could have what is his, but Jesus also wanted what was his. He wanted their hearts. Jesus didn't address the role of government and taxes. He sidestepped those issues to get to their heart. His point simply was that submission to governing authorities was not opposing submission to God. They had made secondary issues, taxes and government, into primary one. The primary issue was their rebellion and their resistance to God. Mark 12, 17. And Jesus said to them, render to Caesars the things that are Caesars, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. They were surprised. They were astounded at his answer. He outsmarted them. Jesus' words exposed them for what they were. They tried to get him in a trap, and he just exposed them. You see, God's word time and time again will expose the intentions of our hearts, taking secondary issues that we've made primary. And God will show us what our real issue is time and time again. Do you want to know what our primary issue is as people? Our resistance to God. Our resistance to submitting to his will. Our resistance to submitting to what he wants and how he wants us to live and what scripture says. Our our, our resistance to God. Our resistance to opening our hearts. You see, people are not so much resistance against me. People are not so much resistant against you. Sometimes people's issues have to do with them and God. Look at what Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 through 13 says. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, 
piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. You cannot fake life with God. You cannot fake life with God. You cannot fake appearances with God. You cannot fake emotions with God. God's word will cut straight through our defenses, telling us what is most true. It sidesteps our excuses, undermines our sensibilities, and tells us the thing that we don't want to hear. It lays us bare, naked, and exposed before God as the utterly dependent creatures that we are. You don't get to go, God, with your full armor up and say, Lord, <clears throat> I have my, my chest plate. It's being protected so that you don't come in and you can't know what's really going on in my life. When God meets with you and deals with you, he exposes everything in your life. He lays you bare. Jesus is no longer here to speak audibly to us, but he sent his spirit to dwell in us and to inspire the writing of his scripture. He has all authority in heaven and on earth, and he exercises it through his word. If the Holy Spirit of God is working in your life, he's going to pierce you with his word, and he does so because he loves you. So if you ever see a word, something written in the Bible that feels like sandpaper when you read it, rubbing up against your skin, it's supposed to do that. The Bible's not meant to be opened all the time and to make you feel like you are in the lollipop kids world with the Oompa Loompas. <laughs> That's not what the word of God is supposed to make you feel like. Sometimes it rubs up against you because you realize that your character is not matching up to where God would have it be. And you know that one of two things need to happen. Or you stay in resistance and rebellion to God or you let it sand you down and refine you. And that is painful. It's painful. Look at what Psalm 73, 25 through 26 says. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. See, these verses speak of the value of knowing God and being satisfied by him. But when we can't resonate with these words, it shows us how rebellious we've become. We bought into the lie that what we really need is a vacation or time off for our hearts to get right with God. See, God is okay with us as long as our behaviors aren't that bad, even if our affections are stale. We put our hope in circumstances being rearranged instead of God changing our heart. Let me explain. Can God use a vacation? Absolutely. His word talks about Sabbath, but we mistake its importance because we're making that secondary issue a primary one. Vacation can't bring us the rest that we want. God can use vacation, but the rest we need comes from him by meditating on, praying to, interacting with, knowing, and obeying him. It's only a matter of time before God takes away that secondary issue in your life and brings you face to face with him. Can I tell you something? I'm going to give you a real big secret. Come to God on your own terms before you come to him on his. Because, because he, will, he will mess you up. 
He will mess you up so that he could bring you to a point of change. You do not want to come to God kicking and screaming. He will make sure he drags you all the way through until you're face to face with him. And he exposes everything in your heart. You ever heard this story? I heard this story when I was a kid. There's this little girl. Her name was Pandora. She had a box filled with all sort of nasty things inside that box. You ever heard of Pandora's box? It is this box that is open and a nasty world comes out. God will crack you open like Pandora's box. He'll crack you wide open like an egg and he will begin to heal and take things out of your life and that surgery will hurt. It will hurt. It will hurt. And sometimes we think rearranging our lives will, will cause our issues to be fixed. Oh, I have these issues in my life. Oh, what do I need to do? Oh, I need to rearrange my life. No problem. I need to change my zip code because if I change my zip code, everything's going to go better for me. Oh, I need to rearrange my life so if I change my church code, it'll go better for me. And everything. No, you continue to drag that puppy along with you wherever you go. It will be the anchor, the weight that you're dragging along with you. You won't even realize that you're carrying it. And everywhere you go, it will be strapped to you. Everywhere you go. Oh, life isn't working out right now. I'm not feeling very well right now. I'm not feeling in love with my husband or my wife right now. Oh, maybe I need to rearrange my life. I need to leave them. Guess what? Your issues go right where you to second husband. And when second husband doesn't work out, they're going to go right to third husband. And before you know it, there will be no one in your life. But this is what happens. Your issues go with you wherever you go. Wherever you go. And so the issue needs to be not that you need to change your husband, not that you need to change your zip code and where you live, not that you need to change your job or your family. Sometimes the issue is that you need to get together with God. How often do we blame our inability to trust Jesus on the failures of other people? Or on the failures of our churches? How often do we justify bitterness, anger, or frustration on the wounds we've received? Or excuses, or, or excuse our disobedience due to someone else's disobedience? Oh, I, but I'm okay compared to this person, but you're not okay compared to God, and that's the one that really matters. See, these are all secondary issues. They're important, but first you have to give God all that is His. After Jesus' resurrection, Jesus and Peter were on the beach. And Jesus restored Peter in relationship and he restored him to ministry. And Jesus told Peter something powerful. Jesus told Peter, you're going to die for me one day. And I, I, this is probably the first time that you have ever heard this particular story mapped out this way. But I want to show you something. Instead of embracing Jesus' words and restoration, Peter began to think about other people. So God's restoring Peter. After Peter has denied Jesus three times, Peter's supposed to be broken about this thing. He's in a beach with Jesus. Jesus is trying to tell him, hey, if somebody told you you're going to die for Jesus, I don't know about you, but that would, number one, it, it would kind of cause my mind to explode and me to just think and look and stare at the stars for a little while, right? But not so for Peter, right? John chapter 21, 12, uh, uh, 
John chapter 21, 21 through 22. When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? What about him? And you know what Jesus did? Jesus did a joke on them. Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what's that to you? You follow me. In other words, mind your business about what I'm doing in his life. It's not your business what's happening in his life. It's your business what I'm trying to do in your life. Stay in your lane. Jesus was saying, don't worry about them. Your heart is the primary issue that you need to be concerned with. Church, your circumstances may be difficult and trying, but don't worry about that first. Your primary issue is first and foremost, always, your allegiance and your following of Jesus. The word of God has so much to say about the issues in our lives, but he wants to get to our heart first. Give God that which is rightfully his. Exposing our hearts is a terrifying process. See, Jesus knows everything. Some of you guys operate and function in your life like if Jesus doesn't know anything. Like if somehow when you get into your apartment or it's late at night and somehow Jesus does not see what you're doing. Or Jesus didn't see the way you talked on that phone call or in that meeting or the way you functioned in your job and we live our lives like if Jesus is not looking at any of these things. Jesus knows everything. The shameful things that you never told anyone about. Every seedy, evil, perverse thought that you've ever had. On top of that, let me just share with you. There is no one who is more offended by your sin than Jesus. Because he is the most wronged by it all. If it were anyone else we were exposing our hearts to, let me just say this, we'd have no hope. Some of us are laying our hearts bare before people who have no way of healing us. They have no way of healing us. They have no way of speaking truth to us. As a matter of fact, some people that we're around actually give us bad advice. Terrible, against the scripture advice. But Jesus doesn't use the exposing to hurt us, to destroy us. He doesn't use it to shame us. He exposes the intentions of our heart, not to shame you, but to save you. He enables us to be vulnerable before God with no fear of punishment, no fear of disapproval. He took all of your disapproval and all of your punishment on the cross. His gospel makes it possible for the word of God to cut to our hearts, but not to crush us. God may cut deep into your heart, but he'll never crush your heart. The point of God revealing our sins is really not so that we can focus on ourselves, but so that we could have a springboard, so that we can marvel at Jesus. See, seeing our sins should make us realize and think how much better God is than we are. How much more good God is than we are. And we can't shy away from his word and, and his community because we're scared of being exposed. Look at 1 John four eighteen. I love this first part of this verse. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. There's nothing to be afraid of. When, before, when we go before God, we can confess. We can be honest. 
Some of you guys need to be laid broken before God. Maybe you need to cry before his presence. Shed tears before him so that you can expose what's going on deep inside. And keep in mind, you might receive a stern rebuke from God. At other times, you'll receive a tender encouragement, but all of it will be done in love. Can I tell you the worst thing that we have bought into in our society is saying that when we love someone, we allow them to keep on doing the same things, walking the same way, functioning in the same things. We have to receive everything that they do. And we have to approve of what they do. That is the wrong idea of love. That is not love. That is infatuation and lust. We can be infatuated and lustful over someone. But love, love will tell you the truth. Love will say, I care about you. I don't want you to stay the same. Let's work through this. Let's deal with this. Your sin is blinding you from seeing what's going on inside your heart and you're bleeding all over everyone else. Let's work through this. Love, love will do the tough thing. Let me tell you something. I love my daughter. I have uh, two little girls. I love both of them and a little boy. And I love them so deeply, right? Do you know what I do because I love my kids? I got a little chair that I put in a little corner staircase. And I say to my daughter, I face it up against the wall. And when she isn't obedient, I take her to that chair. And I say, time out from doing everything that you're doing. You need to take a time out. You need to rest for a little while. And then let's talk about what you did. And that's what I do. I don't do it because I hate my kid. I do it because I love my kid. Sometimes I don't believe in beating a kid, but I believe in giving a little whack, a little spanking. Sometimes they need a little spanking. And so I'll gently come to them and I'll correct them and I'll say, I'm going to spank you. <laughs> I'm going to spank you. I'm going to spank you. Do, do you. do you know why I'm going to spank you? Yes, I did this wrong. Okay, I'm going to spank you. And I spank them because they've done something wrong and I'm attempting to correct them. The bad thing would be me leaving my little kids in craziness without correction at all. But you see, the same is true in every avenue of our lives. Sometimes we need to take a pause from things. Sometimes we need to settle down. Sometimes we need to rest because the thing that we're doing is hurting us more than it's helping us or it's giving us the opportunity to bleed on more people. I can't reward my kid for doing something wrong. Why am I going to reward her when she's talking back to me or she's being nasty? I can't do that. I would be reinforcing the negative behavior that she has. Sometimes the best thing to do is say, sweetheart, take a seat. Let's talk. And it's true in every avenue of life. It's true in employment. It's true in the church world. Do you know why we're so messed up as churches? We've lost the art of discipline. And so people freak out whenever you say, 
pause, sit, let's discuss. This is having a negative effect on not just you, on everyone around you. We don't know the art of discipline anymore. We've lost it. They've taken it away from us as it relates to our children. And even in the church world, there was a period of time where anything would go and anything would fly. But it's not healthy for us. That's not love. It's not love. It is lust. It is an infatuation with somebody. It is living out of a place of fear that says, I need to just accept everything that they're doing, no matter how destructive that it is, no matter what it costs, because it costs me to say something, to do something, or to take an action. It's not good. Your kids need correction. Sometimes your spouse needs correction. There's no better way to, for someone that can speak to the life of an in, another individual than their spouse. In a loving way. Hey, sweetheart, do you realize that the way that you just spoke to me was wrong? I'm not going to reward your behavior. You're coming up to me for a kiss. I'm not going to give you a kiss if you've just nasty and cursed me out. That's no good. That's not the way we handle things. Sometimes you need a little pause. Hit the reset button. We need to learn this art of love because loving people also has to do with discipline. There's power in the reality of the gospel. It allows us to be vulnerable with one another. Not only do we get to be deeply known by God, but also by our siblings in Christ, we can be vulnerable without fear of rejection or punishment because we've all tasted how sweet it is to be received by Jesus. How sweet it is to be embraced by a loving Christ. And here's the truth. None of us are exempt. You need to be honest with somebody and tell him or her what's going on in your life. Trustworthy people. Not everyone can listen to your garbage and stay with it or sustain it and walk with it. Confessing sin does not atone for your sin. We confess because Jesus has already done the work on the cross. He's already taken care of our sins on the cross. So I have a question for you, church. What secondary issues have you made as a stumbling block to your trust in God? What issue do you continue to come back to as the reason that you don't submit your life to God and give everything to him? What conditions are you holding on to that he has to meet before you can trust and obey him? Some of you guys have a messed up view of God. God is a slave worker. God doesn't care. He'll never show up. He'll never be around me. God is such a workaholic. He's busy caring about everybody else, but he doesn't have time to be with me. I want to share with you where that comes from. For a majority of you, that comes from your fathers and how you viewed your fathers. And because of how you viewed your father, it's how you view your heavenly father or how your mother dealt with you, that you begin to observe those in authority and you begin to view them the same way that you did when you were growing up. Those same fears. My daddy's a workaholic. My daddy doesn't come home. My God is a workaholic. He's busy taking care of other people so he doesn't have time for me. My daddy can't be trusted. He had an affair on my mom and so he can't be trusted. And so I can't trust my daddy in heaven either. Because he will be untrustworthy. And so we reflect all these things of all of these images that we have in our head from our parents. And they don't let us see God for who he truly is. I believe the Lord Jesus wants to set you free from that. 
God wants to do something in your life, but first things first, he wants your heart. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's. Render to God what is God. Would you join me? I want to pray with you. I want to ask our worship team to come forward. Praise God. I want to pray with you because I believe God doesn't want to leave you the same. He wants certain things to change in your life. He wants to bring you to a new place because he's doing a new thing in your heart. And he wants to know, will you, will you willfully submit to him or will you come kicking and screaming? I've heard this said time and time again. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he's God. And I've heard this time and time again said, and I want to give it to you so that you can think about this morning. Will you bow your knee willfully and confess willfully out of your own volition because you have received that in this life? Or will you be forced to? And for those who are forced to, the Bible says that an eternity waits outside of the comfort of the presence of God for those who are forced to recognize Jesus as Savior. And so a loving Father is calling you to his warm embrace this morning. He wants you. Will you give your all to Jesus this morning? Will you give the thing that Jesus wants, your heart, your life, to him that's all he wants God doesn't want the smoke screen anymore in your life that you've built up he wants the real you